Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. I'm excited again to be with you guys. We're going to have another great Bible study, and today's topic is on the blood. So we're going to go all through the Bible and see everywhere that the Bible talks about blood. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it clearly says that the penalty for sin is death but God gives us life so let's turn now to Leviticus 17 verses 14 the life of every creature is in its blood that is why I said to the people of Israel you must never eat or drink blood for the life of every creature is in its blood so whoever consumes blood will be cut off from the community So the wages of sin is death, and the life is in our blood. So now let's go to Genesis chapter 4. And here we find the story of Cain and Abel. Now let's remember Cain and Abel didn't have the book of Romans to tell them what the wages of sin was. Now Satan told them that they wouldn't die. God told them they would die. They believed Satan, that's why they ate the fruit, and they've never experienced death yet, so they've never even seen what it looks like yet, but we're going to see it here for the first time, starting halfway through verse 2, when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord while Abel brought as a gift the best of his firstborn fruits of his flocks. So, Cain and Abel both brought what they had, but one of them had vegetables, and the other one had livestock. It had something that had life in it. He brought blood to be sacrificed. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So he's telling them here, if you do what is right, which is offer blood, then you will be in control over sin and master it. But one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So in this scripture, God tells us that he can hear our blood. He listens to our life. He pays attention to what our blood says. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield crops for you no matter how hard you work. From now on you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. So here Cain kills his brother, and he's trying to cover it up. 
but he didn't understand how powerful blood was. He didn't understand that God could hear Abel's blood. So let's continue some more places in the Bible where it talks about blood. In chapter 9, God makes a covenant with Noah. And God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and all the animals of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the small animals that scurry along on the ground. And all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has its life blood in it. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life must also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. So that was God's first covenant with anyone after they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It wasn't until Noah came along and built a boat, God made a covenant with him. And the covenant involved blood. Don't eat any meat with blood in it. And don't take the blood of any human being. Then God says in verse 12, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds and it is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is a sign of the covenant I am confirming with all creatures on earth. So, part of that covenant is that we will not eat blood or kill people and take their blood. Now in Genesis 37, we have the story of Joseph. And Joseph has a dream, and his brothers and his mom are going to bow down to him, and his brothers get mad, so they kidnap him. And in verse 21, But when his brother Reuben heard of their schemes, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let us not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let us just throw him into the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without us laying our hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning on rescuing Joseph and returning him to his father. So here in this story, Reuben's big concern is not to shed his blood. And if you flip forward to the end of the story... Chapter 42, right before Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, in verse 22, it says, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? This is Reuben again. But you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. So this is something that all the people and the children of Israel understood, that blood has to be answered for, and blood is significant. So let's see why. Let's go to chapter 17 the father of our faith and Abraham's calling when Abraham was 99 years old the Lord appeared to him and said I am El Shaddai God Almighty serve me faithfully and live a blameless life and I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants at this Abraham fell face down on the ground then God said to him, This is the covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God, 
and the God of your ancestors after you, and I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be a possession forever, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of their foreskin as a sign of the covenant between you and me. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to the members of your family, but also to your servants born in your household and to the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of the everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. So circumcision is a sign of the covenant. And this is a pretty serious sign. Anybody who didn't have this mark was kicked out of the covenant family. So that shows you how important it is to God. Exodus chapter 4 shows us how important this is to God. In the previous chapter, we had the burning bush experience where Moses meets face to face with God and God tells him he's sending him back to Egypt. And then in chapter 4, God's continuing to try and talk Moses into going back and he's giving him some signs of his power and he shows him throwing the staff on the ground it turns into a snake and he says if all of this doesn't work i'm gonna turn the nile river into blood in verse 9 and then god finally becomes angry with him and sends aaron with moses but we're gonna start in verse 21 and then the lord told moses when you arrive back in egypt go to pharaoh and perform all the miracles i have empowered you to do but I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I command you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. So it's pretty important to God here. He's talking about the bloodline, the firstborn son. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. So this is after God called him, and God's about to kill Moses. But Moses' wife, Zephyrah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. So, circumcision is a sign of the blood. It was a covenant. It made us the blood groom of Christ. Now, in chapter 11, God does exactly what he says, and he kills all of Egypt's firstborn. And starting in chapter 12, we're going to read about the first Passover. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the animal. The same night they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. 
Do not eat any of the raw meat or boil in water. The whole animal, including the head, the legs, the internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever you do not eat before morning. These are your instructions for eating the meal. Be fully dressed, wear your sandals, and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So it was blood that stopped the plague from striking them. Now we're going to go to chapter 24 and we're going to read about Israel accepting the covenant as a whole. Then the Lord instructed Moses, Come up here to me, and bring along Aaron, Nahab, Abihu, and the seventy of Israel's elders. All of you must worship from a distance. Only Moses is allowed to come near to the Lord. The others must not come near. None of the other people are allowed to climb up the mountain with him. Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all of the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up early and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up twelve pillars, one for each of the tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from the animals into bisons. The other half he spattered against the altar. Then he took the Book of the Covenant and read it aloud to the people. And they all responded, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. Then Moses took the blood from the bison and splattered it all over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel climbed up the mountain, and they saw the God of Israel. Under his feet there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue lopez lazulas, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. The blood was a witness to the covenant. But in the Old Testament, the blood was more than just a witness. So let's go to Leviticus chapter 4, and we're going to see how the priests used the blood in the Old Testament, in the Old Tabernacle plan. Starting in verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. This is how you are to deal with those who sin unintentionally by doing anything that violates one of the Lord's commandments. So this is how they dealt with sin. If a high priest sins, bringing guilt upon the entire community, he must give a sin offering for the sins he has committed. He must present to the Lord a young bull with no defects. He must bring the bull to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle, lay his hands on the bull's head, and slaughter it before the Lord. The high priest will then take some of the bull's blood into the tabernacle, dip his finger in the blood, and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the inner curtain of the sanctuary. The priest will then put some of the blood on the horns of the altar for fragrant incense that stands in the Lord's presence inside the tabernacle. He will pour out the rest of the bull's blood at the basin of the altar for burnt offerings at the entrance of the tabernacle. So blood was the key ingredient in the tabernacle plan. They used it to cover their sin looking forward to the time of Christ. 
Now in Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read about the Lord celebrating the same Passover meal we've been reading about with his disciples, starting in verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare the Passover meal for you? As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time is come, and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus told them and prepared the Passover meal there. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from the bowl with me will betray me. For the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It will be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine, gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So here Jesus is predicting that his blood is the new sign of the new covenant that's coming from God. Now if we flip to the next chapter, 27, when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas the one who betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed the innocent blood. What is that to us? See thou to that. You can see that I'm reading this in King James now. <laughs> and he cast down the pieces of silver in the ta temple and departed. And he went out and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price for blood. And they took counsel, and they bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore the field was called the field of blood unto this day. So they talked about the innocence of Jesus' blood and how important blood was that they wouldn't even take the money that they paid for Christ's blood. Instead, they bought a field and called it the field of blood. Now let's continue with Jesus's trial before Pilate, starting in verse 11. I'm gonna switch over to the New Living Translation now. Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him, and Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made their accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all the charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message, Leave that innocent man alone. 
I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, Crucify him. Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, We will take the responsibility for his death, we and our children. Now the reason why I started reading that in the King James is because they say it so much better. So let's read that scripture in the King James. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. So they were prophesying there that Christ's blood be on them and their children for the coming generations. Hallelujah. I want Christ's blood all over me. <laughs> First time I agreed with those terrible religious leaders. <laughs> now let's go to Acts chapter 2, one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible. And on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then it looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. So everybody in the town sees this, they're wondering what's going on, and Paul has to stand up and preach to the crowds. They all thought they were drunk, and Paul tells them they're not drunk. And let's start in verse 17. He says that this is what the prophet Joel had predicted in those days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. They will prophesy and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and in the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So he went on to preach to them and of course this moved them so they turned to Peter and asked what shall we do, what must we do to be saved and in Acts 2.38 Peter replied, Each one of you must repent from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is unto you and unto your children and even unto the Gentiles and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, Save yourself. From this crooked generation so here he's telling them to believe in the power of the blood of Christ the blood that he shed on the cross to believe in that to be baptized into his name who shed his blood and that will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit this was the promise of the blood that was shed by Christ and this promise was for everyone even to the Gentiles so let's go to Acts chapter 15, because after the Gentiles started receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, they had to have a little conversation about it. So starting in verse 4 of chapter 15, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything that God had done through them. And then some of the believers who belonged to the sack of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. 
At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brother, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. He made no distinction between us and them, and he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Saul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles and took from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophet predicted as it is written. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken, he who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, and from eating meat of strangled animals and consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues and in every city, every Sabbath, for many generations. So these are the few things that they told the Gentiles to stay away from. From eating food that was offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat of strangled animals, and consuming blood. That was still very important, even in the New Testament with the new Gentiles. There was something about blood. So in the beginning we discussed that the wages of sin is death, and death requires the blood the blood holds the life so we learned about that in Romans let's go back to Romans starting in chapter 3 verse 21 but now God has made a way to be right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from our penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in the past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be made right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law, it is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There is only one God, and he makes people right with himself by faith, whether Jew or Gentile. That's a powerful scripture. There is one God. Jesus Christ is God, and he shed his blood to pay for the sin on earth. That's powerful. That's why blood is so important. 
God considers all human life important because we're made in his image and blood is the essence of life. So when God shed his own blood, he said that that was enough to cover all of sin from the beginning of time until the end of time. And all we have to do is believe in that. We have to put our faith in the blood of Christ. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, starting at verse 11. And we're going to hear more about how Christ's blood is so precious. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands. It is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Wow. Like they had to sacrifice every year to roll back the sins waiting for Christ to come and to wash away all the sins. So let's continue in verse 13. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, it is necessary to prove that that person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, the blood confirms the covenant God made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. That's powerful. So we didn't even take the time to go through it all, but everything in the tabernacle is purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So there we go. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It requires blood to forgive sin. That is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of the things in heaven, had to be purified with blood of animals. But the real thing in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear before God on our behalf. And he did not enter into heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters into the holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that would have been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again, ever since the world began. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is designed to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him.
That's so good. Last time he came to pay for our sins, and next time he's coming to bring us to glory. Hallelujah. So let's continue now in chapter 10. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have been stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why Christ came into the world. He said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they were required by the law of Moses. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. He canceled the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at a place of honor at God's right hand. There he awaits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by the one sacrifice he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so, for he says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds, for their sins have been forgiven, and there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Which remember, the curtain was ripped in two when he died for a reason. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. So let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted 
and disdain the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on the early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken away from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. And I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not those who will turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Amen. That is who we are today. If you're listening to this Bible study, I have faith that you're one of these ones too. You have been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, and you will be saved on that glorious day. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross not by water only but by water and blood and the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony so we have these three witnesses the spirit the water and the blood and all three agree since we believe human testimony surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God and God has testified about his son. All who believe in the son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe that God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whosoever has the son has life Whosoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So we see how important the blood is and how important it is that we believe that Christ shed his blood for our sins. Now let's go to one final verse. You might as well end this in the last book in the Bible. Revelations. We're going to start reading in chapter 1, verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. 
Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Hallelujah. So there's our promise that the all-powerful God has shed his blood so that we can be free from our sins and we can go live with him one day for an eternity in heaven. And all we have to do is believe that Jesus is God wrapped in flesh, repent from our sins, turn from our sins to God, be baptized in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And I, that's why we believe in full submersion baptism. I want to be fully covered in the blood of Christ. I want it to be a sign of a burial. Just like Christ, I want to rise to a new life out of that baptism. And that's what we do. And then we will be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost as a sign of our salvation. And with that Holy Spirit comes working of great miracles, of healing, and of preaching the gospel and opening blind eyes and raising the dead and living on earth like Christ does. So that's a very amazing life that all begins with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the blood is such a powerful thing throughout the entire Bible. The wages of the sin is death. Death requires blood and Christ's blood paid for it all at Calvary. So that's all we have today. Let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer today. And if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is your opportunity. You can say this prayer with me. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. So say this prayer with me. Close your eyes and bow your head. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today as a sinner, God, and I acknowledge that you wrapped yourself in flesh and came to this earth as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and died for my sins and allowed your blood to cover my sins. I worship you and thank you for everything that you've done, God, and I accept you into my heart today as my Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, if you prayed that with me today, then you have accepted Jesus Christ. If you really believe that in your heart, and I'd like to welcome you to the family of God because that is all it takes to have Christ come into your heart today. So we like to start there and then get baptized in Jesus' name, and then we will be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit. So thanks everybody for joining me today in Let's say a little prayer for everybody, whether you've received Christ or not. Lord, thank you for this time here today, God, allowing me to dive into your word and see how the blood has changed everything in this world. We worship you, God, and we thank you for everything that you've done, God, for coming down to earth, God, and paying for our sins, God, and accepting us and loving us how we are, Lord, without without requiring us to change for that love, God. You gave it to us when we hadn't changed yet. And now, Lord, let, let your work in our lives be an example to everyone around us, God. Let them see the change now, after you've loved us and after we've accepted it, God. We worship you today and we praise you, God. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Thanks a lot, everyone, for joining me again today, and I can't wait to do this again. And until next time, God bless.